0: we mm-hmm. Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris, welcome to episode 158 of X-Lapsed And, uh, well, before we get into it, I do want to say that I am very, very tired right now Um, we had a health scare with our oldest, uh, dog last night Which had us in the emergency vet, uh, most of the night And now we're, uh, monitoring him and so I have not slept in a couple days now So I figured I'd preface with that just in case uh, I don't, uh, you know, sound up to snuff uh, Not to say that I have a snuff that I usually sound up to But uh, you know what I'm trying to say, I hope, anyway But uh, today we're going to be talking about X-Factor, Volume 4, Number 7 This had an April 2021 cover date The story is called Sweet Number 7 Scientia vincere tenebras And, you know, I really probably should try to Translate those into something that means something um, Just to find out what the uh, what the meaning behind it is But, uh, alas, I did not um, This is written by Leo Williams with art by David Baldeon Colors, Israel Silva Letters, VCs Joe Magna. Designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman Edits, Shannon Andros Balesteros Belest- Jake Thomas and C.B. Cebulski Cover price, $4 This one went on sale February 3rd of 2021 So we are getting scarily close to being up to date with these books And uh, I'd say I never thought it was going to happen But uh, that'd be a lie Because when I started this program I figured it would be like, eh, two or three months we'll be there And here we are, seven months later And uh, not there yet Anywho, uh, we've got a fairly striking cover here We've got Boy, a uh, very, very big face of Eyeboy on the cover here All of his eyes are differently colored And we've got Polaris kind of like using her power to like freak out a little bit Now if this is supposed to be alluding to a certain scene we're going to discuss soon um, I don't know, It just uh, it's a nice cover I'll say that, it just doesn't uh, really uh, you know, tell us a whole heck of a lot Anyway, we open with Prodigy realizing that he's got nearly a hundred missed calls from Speed. Now, all of these calls have occurred within a single minute, which I mean, even if Speed is a speedster, phones still don't work that fast. Um, now he calls back in order to spill the beans on how and when he died. That's been the big question: How did Prodigy die? All we have is like a, we have like a sort of time span where it might have happened. But we haven't gotten any firm confirmation on that Now David's story, and he's sticking to it Is that he died in an O-N-E-1 attack on the Institute Along with several of his mutant peers Tommy, Speed, then swoops in Remember, he is a speedster Which kind of begs the question Why didn't he just swoop in in the first place? Anywho, he swoops in to inform David that Nah, he didn't die in no O-N-E attack And what's more, he can prove it And he does so by showing him a photo of the two of them making out that night Now David seems genuinely confused here As if he's not purposely lying about this or trying to pull a fast one The two fellas then decide, hey, you know what, we're here, we're on a couch How about we make out some more? And so they do Now it's worth noting, neither of them know who took this photo in question Uh, It was found on a weird social media account which tagged them So that's how they knew that it existed From here we go to Not Quite an Info page, and it's a letter from Elixir of the Five to Prodigy. Here, David is informed that he was resurrected without a body, as this was pre-X Factor verifying deaths and whatnot. They tell him that he was just on a list of mutants put together by Wolverine and Cyclops, who were lost. And I'm going to assume that this is from maybe like the second half of the Rosenberg run on Uncanny which I have still yet to experience for myself. But, huh, interesting stuff here. We'll talk more about that later. Elsewhere at the Boneyard, Dakin, Dakin, and Aurora with the Roll Eyes have themselves a flirt. Now Jean-Marie is a bit worried that her feelings are being manipulated by Dakin, Dakin's pheromone powers. And he informs her that, nah, it don't work like that. He can't make someone feel what they don't. All he can do is heighten or lessen A feeling that is already present So if Aurora Sorta has the hot pants form already He can In theory amp it up a little bit But he can't just like manifest it He can't make her like or want him If she doesn't To which she asks him for a kiss And he refuses For now Now this scene is interrupted by North Star Comically calling out to Akihiro here. He's just calling Dakin, Dakin, over and over again Now the thing is, uh, Dakin, Dakin is on a mission to trail Siren We know about Siren from last issue And so he's wearing flat scan clothes as to not draw too much attention to himself And flat scan clothes are basically uh, clothes (laughs) You know, uh, clothes like we wear Uh, I think he had a ball cap on as well Now, Sean Paul gives Dakin, Dakin, the old brotherly talk. Uh, You know the one, you know, the hurt my sister, I'll kill you, that sort of thing. He then sends Dakin, Dakin, on his way, telling him not to forget his fleet seeds. Next, double-page spread of roll, call, and cred. The characters we're going to be paying attention to today include Northstar, Prodigy, Prestige, Eyeboy, Polaris, Dakin, Dakin, and Aurora with the Roll Eyes. Back to comics, and Polaris informs Northstar that Dakin, Dakin, did indeed forget those fleet seeds. And we've got him on the phone. He's calling in. He's calling in from Alberta, Canada, having already followed Teresa through Barcelona. It seems like maybe Siren uh, figured that she'd be tailed, and so she went to Barcelona as sort of a, a way to shake the tail here, and then came back through and went to Alberta. Now Polaris relays this information to the team... Only, since she's under Siren's spell from last issue, she actually tells Northstar that Terry's still in Barcelona. To which I, boy can immediately tell that Lorne is lying, but he doesn't say anything about it quite yet. Northstar dispatches the team to question some folks close to Siren to try to dig up any information that might be of uh, assistance in the situation. Now, Northstar heads over to David's room, where he finds him with his uh, guest with benefits, Speed. Now, Speed, a speedster, lest we forget, is quite the North Star fanboy, it seems. Oh, well, I suppose he will be by the end of this scene. He asks how fast Jean-Paul can run, to which we learn that he can move faster than the speed of light. Which is either a big fat lie, or Marvel's way of, like, truly making him the new Quicksilver, since uh, he's not a mutant anymore. Now, Northstar has a caveat here. He says he can run that fast, but he never would, because it would cause great distress to the planet, sort of like a, like a garrot around the planet, as well as causing great distress to his own lungs here, because he is a speedster, yes, but he's not like a man of steel, so his lungs could collapse. Now, Tommy asks a bunch of questions, and Northstar answers them, as well as a couple that Tommy didn't ask. He tells them that he's gay and rich, which, I mean... Those are North Star's defining characteristics for like 30 years now So not such a shocking revelation He tells Speed that he's welcome to visit the Boneyard whenever he'd like Okay, question um, Is Speed a mutant? I-, I thought he was like the sort of kind of son of Vision and the Scarlet Witch And if Wanda is no longer a mutant, would Tommy be a mutant? And if Tommy is a mutant, does that mean that Wiccan is one too? And if he's not a mutant, well, I guess uh, we just gotta hope nobody tells poor old Kane Marco that uh, he's been invited to hang out whenever he pleases. When uh, poor Jugs can't uh, can't even step a single toe on the place. Now from here, X Factor questions some folks close to Siren, North Star and Prodigy chat up Banshee, who is completely out to lunch on all things Terry. He doesn't even realize that she's died a whole bunch lately. So there's that. I boy and Aurora question Dazzler, who it would appear is now bandmates with Siren. Should someone with a sonic scream ever be in a band? I mean, I guess DC tried it with that Black Canary, uh, you know, series during the ill-fated pandering DCYOU year. So there is precedent. Uh, Northstar and Prodigy then head over to rattle poor Jamie Madrox's cage. Uh, naturally, there are a bunch of dupes in the scene because why wouldn't there be? Um, now, Jamie can't really help them all that much. He had a, uh, he had like a one-night stand with uh, with Siren back during the X Factor investigation days, but uh, yeah, he can't really do a whole lot for them. And so the point of this scene, I think, is that we all just laugh at how useless and inept Jamie is, and how his version of X Factor sucked in comparison to this one. At least that's kind of how this panel feels. Um, finally. I, Boy, and Aurora check in with Havoc? Huh? He's palsy-walsy with Siren? Since when? Uh, whatever the case, he can't help them. Now, it's worth noting all throughout this scene, Dakin, Dakin has been trying to call into Polaris, but she rejects his call each time. And Lorna is actually supposed to be questioning some folks herself, along with Rachel here. The two of them were supposed to go and do what these other uh, tandems were doing, but. Alas, she's not, because, you know, she's under that spell More about that spell, let's go to a sorta kinda info page And it's all about the Morrigan Now this page looks like it was written on parchment Which is to say it looks quite old Which only makes it a little bit more laughable that they use BCE instead of BC When talking about the Morrigan's history Now BCE, if you're unaware, stands for Before Common Era This has been popularized probably in the past 20 or so years as a replacement for B.C. or Before Christ. I remember when I was in high school, it was still B.C. I graduated in 97, but when I started college, in earnest anyway, it was B.C.E. And that was 2011. So, for this ancient parchment to have B.C.E. is, uh, well, annoyingly anachronistic. But, given how the topic of religion is usually handled in these books, it Doesn't really surprise me all that much Anyway, now the Morrigan is a figure from Irish myth In Marvel lore, she's an entity that can jump from host to host Siren was, for lack of a better term, infected by her back in X-Factor 244, November 2012 cover date, when she killed her former host I honestly can't tell you if it's ever come up in the interim, (laughs) because I was away for some of that now, over the course of the next few pages, we get a scene of Dakin, Dakin, and he's trying to get a hold of Polaris here, uh, and as he's on the phone here, he's spotted by Siren. And over the course of a couple of pages, he's beaten, just bludgeoned, and ultimately left impaled on a pointed beam to die. Now, he tries telling her that uh, X-Factor are already on their way. But she knows he's bluffing, and she's got Lorna under her control, and she knows that Lorna will keep them as far off target as possible. We jump back to the Boneyard, and Northstar's husband Kyle offers to let them use his public relations experience to help out. Now, this leads to him spending several panels discussing trauma and abuse, which, I mean, I'm not in PR, but I don't know how it connects. Uh, Perhaps if Kyle were a social worker, this monologue would uh, be a little bit more fitting. Whatever the case, everything he says here makes perfect sense and has precedent, given the nature of the subject at hand. Now, Rachel, she she shows up, and she asks if they're working today. Lorna pipes in to suggest that they already did work today. Remember, they were supposed to go question people. At this point, finally, Boy calls her out for being a big, fat liar. Northstar then snaps his fingers and tells Rachel to fix whatever the hell's going on with Lorna. So, I guess, uh... You know, innocent till proven guilty, huh? Hmm. Now Rachel does some chrono-skimming While I think Lorna makes a derogatory comment about her sexuality Maybe I'm wrong Uh, Rachel tells Lorna that she'll be quick To which Lorna replies Bet you say that to all the girls And then Rachel snorts Uh, Is this like a new wrinkle to the character? Or just more current year X-Factor being current year X-Factor? I don't know, this just really feels a little bit forced uh, whatever the case, Rachel's able to deduce that Lorna has been sonically hypnotized by Siren, and also all that Morgan stuff as well. Lorna then turns back to normal and tells the gang that Dakin Dakin is actually in Alberta, Canada, and so lickety split Northstar is there pulling Dakin Dakin out of his impalement. We seen shift to later for some sexy time in a hot tub with Aurora and Dakin Dakin. While they make out, sex-blocker extraordinaire Northstar comically calls out to his sister. During this scene, Dakin Dakin does the Wolverine thing of suggesting that being on Krakoa has made him soft. He's kind of kicking himself for for losing in this uh, confrontation with Siren. He then asks why Northstar keeps interrupting them, and Aurora says that her brother is just worried about losing the people he cares about. And she relates this to his time during the Age of X-Men, Uh, Dakin Dakin says that both of his sisters, Laura and Gabby, were also trapped there Unfortunately, I don't have the context to really speak to much of that Though I do have several episodes of Age of X-Lapsed already recorded and ready to go Um, Something I was saving for an eventual uh, Patreon launch I don't know if that'll ever happen But uh, they're there and uh, they'll eventually, uh, if you want to hear them, you will eventually be able to uh, I came across one of those weird conversations with the better half uh, not too long ago where It's the question that every podcaster doesn't want to get from their significant other or, you know, stakeholders in their lives It's, uh, the old, hey How much time do you spend on this stuff anyway? And then you have to kind of stop and think and realize, oh yeah, I do spend a lot of my free time doing this stuff And, uh, it's hard to justify sometimes, but That's a discussion for another day Um, We wrap up the issue with a jump to late that night. Dakin Dakin notices that the television is on in the living room, and so he goes to check it out and he finds Prodigy and Eyeboy huddled in fear. Now, they claim to be the last ones left alive. Rachel's dead, Northstar's dead, Lorna's dead, and Aurora's dead. We close out with Dakin Dakin discovering the Baubier bodies bleeding out while seated in, I'm assuming, a Celtic symbol. But that is a hell of a cliffhanger, and that is where we leave it. Next episode is Hellions, but for now, let's talk about X-Factor here. Um, good issue. Really good issue. had a very, very good time uh, with this here. Um, let's go through some of our, uh, our takeaways here. I think my main takeaway is the idea that Prodigy's death was not verified. Um, and, I mean... They're really doing this in such a subtle way here Where it doesn't feel like it's a mystery But at the same time it definitely is a mystery So it's not like insisting upon itself as a mystery We've got Prodigy who th- thinks he's being completely straightforward and honest with everybody He doesn't. He thinks he died in this O.N.E. attack And uh, maybe he did, maybe he didn't We don't know All we know right now is that the Five They never confirmed his body they never saw his corpse So all they did was act on the word of Wolverine and Cyclops Who just added Prodigy to a list of mutants that passed away And I really, I mean this is This is very interesting because Might there be two of him out there? Is that why he doesn't remember the scene in Speed's photo? Maybe it was the other uh, David? You gotta wonder like what might happen If the Prodigy in this book is is a dupe, and what might happen should this be discovered? Like, if we have two of the same characters, we know the trouble of having uh, duplicate characters here. Actually, we don't know exactly why we can't have duplicate characters, other than the just um, complication of it. We don't know if there's any sort of uh, mora no-place sort of uh, uh, precedent for not having any duplicates here, Um, though I'm assuming there is one. Otherwise, we'd have, like you know, Skatey 800 Wolverines running around just tearing stuff up. So, I mean, let's let's think about this here. We find out that the prodigy that we knew from, you know, back in Academy X, he was depowered, but he's still alive. For argument's sake, let's say that. Then, the Krakowans find out that he's alive. What do they do? What do they do? Do they... Seeing as though... In, if that is the situation, the prodigy that we have in this book is a duplicate. Do they kill the duplicate, or do they kill the depowered original because you know, they want them with powers, right? I, I hope this is the direction we're going because I think this is a very, very interesting, um, a very, very interesting thread to pull here. We don't know why we can't have dupes. We don't. We've talked at length about. Clones being brought back or not being brought back And here we are With a character who was never verified as dead Which begs the question How many characters haven't they verified the deaths of? X-Factor This form of X-Factor investigations Is relatively young to the Krakoan era So, I mean, there might be dozens Hundreds of mutants on the island Who were just Resurrected without any sort of proof that they were dead in the first place, so that's very, very cool. Um, I like the use of the lie detector again here. Um, we saw the lie detector used when Siren was storming out of the Boneyard last issue, and it was such a cool, um, it was such a cool scene in that a it made complete sense, and b it was designed so creatively. And here. You know, Star's putting together these teams of two To go question people about Siren's, you know, behavior of late And he makes sure to have one of the members of the lie detector in each squad So it's like, okay, we're asking the questions But we're also verifying whether or not the, uh, you know The questionee is, uh, telling the truth So that's really, really cool Uh, let's talk about Lorna and her, um Her unwitting betrayal of the team throughout this issue It was, uh I think I've said the word subtle a few times already, but it was subtly done. Um, It wasn't, you know, she wasn't twirling a mustache or nothing. She was just like, she was lying. And the fact that she was lying in a room full of lie-detecting mutants is really something. I I really like the way that they did this here. Um, Just sending them in the wrong direction and then not uh, going out with Rachel to, you know, ask some questions... It wasn't like they were drawing this hard line And, like, fully turning her heel here It was just, uh, she was doing what she was being controlled to do And it was fixed quickly Which is another really good thing Because I feel like in the age of decompression This Lorna as a, you know, pseudo-trader Would have been lingering for, you know, to fill an entire trade Here we have Rachel come around and be like Okay, chrono-skimming time, boom Okay, we're gonna fix you now, boom, done (laughs) And, I mean, that's all we needed that's all we really needed And it allowed them to put all these pieces In motion It's like we know that Siren is being manipulated By the Morrigan Now we know a little bit more about the Morrigan It's it's all working It's all working out here um, Let's move over to Dakin Dakin And uh, the exploration of his powers And his budding relationship with Aurora here Really enjoying the scenes Of Dakin Dakin and Aurora Together here They're very um they feel high schooly, but not in a like annoying and kind of cloying sort of high schooly sort of way. We have people who are just trying to make peace with their feelings for one another, and uh, there's a little bit of distrust there. There's a little bit of nerves, and it, it feels very, very human. It feels very natural, and uh, really, really digging it. The idea that uh, Dakin Dakin's powers aren't like he, in in, the, in this very issue, he says, "I'm not a telepath." which I think is a very important distinction to make there because I feel like if you don't know that or if it's not made clear, we can let his powers kind of run amok here. He could make people do anything. And, I mean, his power set is a little icky. (laughs) Even, Even at its most benign, it is icky in that he is swaying Uh, You know, physical and amorous feelings here But it's made clear that he can't turn You know, someone who isn't interested in him at all Into someone who is, you know, head over heels in love with him I think that's a very important distinction to make And I'm glad that they made that here And it makes the budding relationship with Aurora Feel even more genuine and organic here Because, you know, after he says that It's clear to us, it's clear to her and it's clear to himself that Aurora does have feelings for him, whether she wants to admit to it or not, or whether she wants to kind of lampshade it by saying, "Oh no, he's just controlling me." Well, now we know better. Um, and I mean, I'm going through the characters here, which is just another way of me saying, "How cool is it that every character in this book <laughs> gets a moment to shine?" It's uh, and and I feel like I, you know, we got to pull the string on my back here, and I'm gonna say, you know, one of the old chestnuts here. This is. One of the more traditional X-books that are on the shelves right now. And just like last issue where uh, Damien pointed out that um, Kyle, Northstar's husband, even got a moment to shine, he gets one in here as well. And he actually drops a little bit of knowledge on the team here to kind of uh, maybe not so much psychoanalyze, but maybe put together a pattern of behavior that would lead to what Siren and uh, Under the you know the Morgan sort of spell might be doing. Very, very well done Really don't have any complaints about this book or this issue um, uh, Baldeon's art continues to grow on me um, These characters, I mean even like iBoy <laughs> I mean iBoy is growing on me So this is a, this is a good book If uh, If you were scared off by the first few issues of this volume Like I very, very nearly was And if I wasn't a completionist I probably would have stopped right then and there I think it's safe to come back now. It's safe to give this another shot. If uh, if you find some of the later issues on Marvel Unlimited, if and you have a few moments, just you know, give it a look, give it a check, and uh, see if it's a uh, if it's more up your alley than the uh, than maybe the first two issues may have made you feel. But uh, that's that for our discussion of X Factor here. Uh, before we go, let's hop into the mailbag here. We got a couple of messages here. First one from Jesse talking about Wolverine number nine. He says, "Look at me writing about a Wolverine comic. Who'd have thunk it?" I listened to the episode on Wolverine number nine today, and I was lost. I'm behind on a few titles, and Wolverine is one of them. I could not place the cover you'd mentioned, so when I looked at my pile, I noticed I had the Aliens variant. I've only seen part of Aliens and nothing of the rest of the franchise, but it turns out I ordered the variant. But I got down to work and read the issue, so I was not out of the loop. I'm sure this will come to a sh- as a shock to absolutely no one, but I have never seen any of the uh, Alien or Aliens or any of those movies. Haven't seen a damn one. Um, uh, Jesse continues. The art is beautiful here, and the story is good, too. I always appreciate when an artist draws Logan as being short, and Adam has plenty of history with this fuzzy little guy. I was bored reading the previous issues, but I enjoyed this one. I actually love Maverick. I read his monthly series as it came out, and if I remember correctly, it was drawn by Jim Chung. Beautiful as well. There's just something about Maverick that gets me interested. I don't know if it's his look, or how it seems like he cares, unlike Wolverine and Sabretooth, or how his backstory isn't as convoluted as the other two, but I enjoy his character quite a bit. And, you know, I I really enjoy his, uh, his look. And, um... I want to say he was one of the one of the first characters that I like actually got his first appearance when I was started collecting comics in earnest. So Maverick has always been kind of an important character to me, I remember getting his action figure, and I was shocked that he had a, a toy biz action figure, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I think he has such a uh, striking, you know design here. I love the I make fun of the noseless mask, but it's it's a very, very cool look. And I'm trying to remember what I do remember about the um, the Maverick ongoing. Uh, I don't remember if they... Did he have the Legacy Virus or was it uh, his sidekick? That uh, that kid, Bolt, who would join the uh, Jay Ferber uh, New Warriors team. Was it the Jay Ferber or was it Eric Lawson? No, Eric Lawson did Nova. So I think it was Ferber who did uh, New Warriors. And they put Nova in that very weird costume for a couple of minutes there. But uh, I don't remember if uh, which one of them or both of them had the legacy virus, but I remember being very intrigued by that. and uh, this was an era where I was still very naive to uh, the publication realities, you know, uh, when a book got cancelled, it was just like a real shock to my system. So when a book like Maverick was just canned, I was just like totally surprised. I was in this fool's paradise that comics that I was reading would never ever be canceled especially not an X book right <laughs> and then it then it does I felt I felt similarly when uh, they canceled the the slingers ongoing series that featured the uh the four characters in the uh, spider-man identity crisis costumes uh, including a mutant who I don't know that we've seen yet uh, in the Hawks pox era ricochet I wonder if uh, I wonder if he's on Krakoa somewhere I He might have been in the background of a scene, and I just missed it. But I do have a fondness for that Maverick ongoing series there. That was just my very, very scenic route way of saying that. Um, Jesse continues. I think I remember seeing superhero, supervillain auctions before, but I can't pinpoint where. Now, you see, I felt the exact same way. It just feels like something that we've seen before. I just couldn't tell you where to find it. Um, I, it almost had to have been done before this. I mean, comics have been around for like 100 years now, so I'm sure there was a, uh, a hero and villain uh, memorabilia auction at some point. Uh, Jesse continues, I don't think anyone was fooled by Patch. The side glances Logan was getting in almost every panel, and the guy who alerted the merchant about Wolverine's presence was one of the two that led him down there. there that's evidence that Logan is no James Bond. Yeah, I think you're right, I think you're right I think I was looking for things where they weren't um, When I saw Dolores, you know, looking through her uh, her little uh, Google glasses there And being able to figure out who this, you know, strange, short, little patched man was I thought maybe, that uh, maybe she maybe tipped off the, the old merchant there But I'm guessing it was probably something far more simple than that uh, Jesse continues now, how in the world did they get an adamantium-laced, clawed hand of Wolverine? I can't wait to see where this leads us. And I just hope it does lead us somewhere. I hope it wasn't just there as, like, a really cool visual and, like, a really cool-looking cover. Because, I mean, I think that could be a fun story. I, I just don't know where they got it from. I, I, I should have double-checked the Age of Apocalypse books, but I'm almost certain that that was a left hand, and this one was a right hand. Uh, I... Like, did he, I mean, did he die in, like, a portal somewhere where, like, his, one of his hands was, like, sticking out of a crone portal? I know he was cut in half at one point, but uh, I, I really don't know uh, where, this, uh, where this hand came from. I hope, I hope that this is something they will flesh out. No, no, no pun intended as we uh, move through. Now, Jesse continues. Wolverine number nine brings up a good question for mind-wiping and resurrection protocols. Would Xavier have Maverick's previous experience, or would he just have an updated, wiped copy of his mind? Could Xavier restore Maverick's memories in the body that he's in now? Would Maverick need to be resurrected to receive those memories back if they if they even existed, or were they overwritten by the latest version? Are they always overwritten when they do the update, or is it just a new record created? Maybe we will have to wait for an issue of New Mutants to get the answer. And he if I have any thoughts on the issue, and yes, I do. <laughs> I do, but I don't know. I have the same questions, is the thing here. Um, throughout this uh, run, I think a lot of us have theorized that Xavier has some of these characters in something of an arrested development. You know, we see that uh, the one that's usually cited is Jean Grey, going by Marvel Girl, wearing her old Neil Adams go- uh, togs, People seem to think that she is sort of at this stage of her life And then, I mean, we just saw in the issue of X-Men uh, the other day That uh, they were wearing their X-Factor outfits Like, are they, are they in different stages here? Are they being fed um, memories to, to make them fit a certain mold That Xavier and Mora and Magneto need them to be fit into? I don't know if we'll ever get answers to this I don't know if it's just something that I'm thinking way too hard about Or the, you know, collective ex-fandom is thinking a little too hard about But if that is the case, I think it would stand to reason that uh, they are There are multiple uh, records for each character here And maybe they download the one that's most advantageous given a certain situation Or maybe they figured out a way to do it like piecemeal You know, you have certain memories from certain eras kind of make a whole person In, again, an advantageous way For a given situation So I don't know uh, And Maverick here We know he has that mnemonic device here So I, I guess we could figure that a lot Of his memories, at least From the point where he created this mnemonic device Are locked somewhere in his subconscious So maybe He will just needs like a, a mental jump start to get those memories back I, I really don't know But I mean, they're fantastic questions And Certainly, things that I've thought about before as well So maybe we will have to wait for a New Mutants issue for that answer Because that is uh, perhaps one of our deeper books Unexpectedly, one of our deeper books here That asks all those inconvenient questions And uh, these questions are great But I think uh, certain movers and shakers on Krakoa Would find them to be very, very inconvenient as well But I want to thank you so much for for checking in there, Jesse It's always great to hear from you Speaking of which, we got a little note from our friend Mark, Green Lantern HG, talking about Generation X Volume 2. He says, I'm still catching up on episodes, but I just had to stop and say, I'm not calling her Jubes. (laughs) Even if they officially change her name, I'm not doing it. They gotta do better by Jubilee. (laughs) And if you don't know what that's alluding to, in the uh, second volume of Generation X Which we're covering right now As part of our Sunday special series They seem to really want to uh, Like coin That Jubilee's Jubilee is going by Jubes Everybody is calling her Jubes So I've taken to doing a similar You know, played out joke like I do on Marauder's Day Where I say, call me Kate Now it's, it's like Ah, here's call me Jubes <laughs> And uh I agree with uh, GLHG here. I do not like Jubes. And the fact that they really, really seem to want us to call her that makes me hate it even more. (laughs) But uh, thanks so much for writing in there, Mark. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, Now, if anybody else would like to write in and be part of our mailbag here, please feel free to reach out. You can find me pretty easily. On Twitter, I'm at Ace Comics, where I think I just celebrated my 14th anniversary on there. So, uh... I didn't send out the little novelty tweet because uh, I figured uh, why whimsically uh, tell everyone how much of my life I've wasted? <laughs> I already know how much I've wasted. But uh, yes, I've been there and uh, you can find me there at Ace Comics. You could also shoot me an email over to Weird Comics History at gmail.com. You can find blog posts, show notes, and X Lapsed Origins articles over at Chris's On Infinite Earths.com. You can chat us up on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men, and you can hear the entire Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. All your noise aggregation applications and uh, devices. And that will do it for today. And I am on my last legs here. So uh, I want to thank you all so, so much for sharing a little bit of your day with me today. And until next time, as always... I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.